Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and uh, I want you to turn first off tonight to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And we're going to start today. We're going to read a couple of passages of Scripture. And then uh, we're going to unpack something that isn't often talked about on uh, in person services. We're, we're going to talk really the next two weeks. And uh, we're kind of in between teaching series right now. And so for the next two weeks, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to call them uh, two, uh, two ships, all right, in the church. And one of those is something that's often referred to as membership. And that's what, kind of what we're going to talk about or unpack today. But then next week, we're going to talk about leadership, Okay. And uh, you can actually identify several of these in Christian talk and theology. Uh, there's worship, there's discipleship. These are all terms and words that we use, but we don't often stop to consider what's the significance and biblically what does this look like. And uh, specifically tonight, we're going to encounter this whole idea of, of membership. And, and this is something, honestly, that we, we sometimes avoid because we go... Where is this at in Scripture, and is it even biblical, and how do we understand this from a a practical church viewpoint and application, and how does that fit into the whole makeup of how God has designed His church? And, And I really believe as we unpack this and as we look at Scripture, we see a really beautiful picture of what God has designed the church to be. And if we don't stop to really discuss that or even understand some of the things that are put in place to, to, to draw out these biblical truths, then we're in danger of just falling into a rut and, and just going along with the flow, not really understanding or comprehending the significance behind it. So I want to read Hebrews 13. I'm just going to read verse 17. And we're going to read this both this week and next week because it really is applicable not only to this idea of being a part of, a committed part of a local church body, but also specific instruction to leadership within that local church body. And so in Hebrews 13, verse 17... It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I just want to pause for a minute and and recognize here in the midst of this, this is a very intimidating verse to me. Because it signifies and it states directly, not, it doesn't just say a command that, hey, church, you who follow Jesus, submit to your leaders. 
in anything they do. But it actually puts the responsibility here back on the leaders themselves. And I don't want to get too far into that because that's really where we're going to go next week in focusing on what, what does a biblical leader look like and who is the church called to follow in that sense. But more importantly here, I want to draw out a question and that's if the local church body as a structure doesn't exist then who is the church supposed to obey and submit to when it speaks of submitting to your leaders, the ones who are to watch over your souls? We're going to unpack that a little more. Now, I'm going to have you turn 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So flip backwards in your Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you hit Acts or Romans, you've gone too far. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to read, I'm going to start at verse 6, and I'm going to read through verse 21 here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 6. It says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God... And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, everyone say all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Everyone say new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Everyone say ambassadors. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now to pause a minute, and then we're going to pray. 
In 2 Corinthians 5, there's multiple times here that we have the foundation built. A foundation that states that the only hope we have for life is in Christ. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And then at the very end, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And if you have never truly comprehended or understood this portion of Scripture, then that right there, wrestling with that truth, is where you need to sit. And nothing else beyond that point needs to be a focus for you. Because if we try to comprehend everything else in here, but we miss this, it's all for nothing. We have to start with an understanding that Christ died for all. It's only through Him that we have life, that we have hope, that there is any concept of eternity. And it was for our sake that He died. That we might not remain who we are, but become who God intended us to be. And so I'm going to pray, and I just want you to wrestle with that truth for a moment before we go any further And if there's anyone hearing this who has not personally trusted Christ with their life, I want you to consider what that would look like for you. To surrender in this moment. To surrender to Christ and say, I need more than myself. And that doesn't have to be the first time. Maybe it is for you, but maybe you've been walking along in this life that you've committed your life to Christ back here, but you have become distracted and disenchanted with the things of God and what God has called you to in Christ. And you just right now in this moment need to remind yourself again of what Jesus has done for you. Because the gospel is not just for the unsaved, but it is our hope and our motivation to do that which that God has called us to every single day. And so let's pause for a moment, consider these truths, and then we're going to pray that God would use the rest of our time together for His purposes. Father, we thank You for the Gospel, the good news. That for our sake... You sent your son that we might become the righteousness of God and that in his death sin was atoned for and in his resurrection there is power over the death that sin brings and life and life abundantly in Jesus. May you root us into that truth today. May it be the starting point for everything else we seek to understand and may you be the one who's glorified above all else. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so there's one main idea out of today's focus on the idea of membership that I want you to grasp. And that is that the importance of membership is rooted in biblical obedience, not personal opinion. The importance of membership, of belonging, is rooted in biblical obedience, not in personal opinion. 
Now, some of you may be sitting there and you may be thinking, Pastor Matt, the word membership is nowhere in the Bible. And I would go, you are right. But the more we unpack scripture, the more I really truly believe we see this emphasis that leads us to a responsibility as leaders, as shepherds, to be cautious about what it looks like to really belong and to say, I'm committed and I'm making a covenant with these people and with this community to model and honor Jesus well. And that goes back to Hebrews 13. How are we supposed to do this well apart from the institution of the local church in the form that God has intended it to be? Everyone say God. That God has intended it to be. And this is where this is so important that it's not rooted in personal opinion, but it's rooted in biblical obedience of what God has called us to be. Okay? And so I want to start this by looking at the distinction or the difference, everyone say difference, between the universal church and the local church. Because there's a distinction here. Both are important. The first thing I want to consider here is uh, the reality of what, what does it look like in distinction? And I'm going to give you just a couple quick phrases and then some scripture passages here to reinforce that. The first of those is there's one church. Everyone say one. But there's many flocks. And if you didn't know, the Bible refers to followers of Christ often through the metaphor of being sheep. And you can read through the through scripture and so there's a reason that I put there there's one church many flocks there's many individual gatherings of people that claim the name of Jesus we see that right here in our own county the second phrase here is there's one body everyone say one but there's many members and the third statement here is there's broad commands for all everyone say broad but there's specific application for each. Now, again, we don't want this to just be uh, Matt's list of things. So I want to take you to a couple passages in Scripture. The first one of those is Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. And it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is how many bodies? One. Everyone say one. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, as you read through that, there should be one word that sticks out, and that is what? One, okay? And this refers to the fact that there is one faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's in Him alone that we are saved. There's one baptism. There's one God. And through that, there's one body. 
But then if we go on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and you're individually members of it. Broad. You're individually members of the broad, the one church body. And in Romans 12, we see this emphasis on the members and their function. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So though so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, as you read through that, you might be going, well, this emphasizes heavily the oneness of the body of Christ, and you wouldn't be wrong. But I want you to stop for a moment and consider the letters that Paul wrote to the churches throughout the New Testament. And how if you look at those letters, they vary in what they stated and what they spoke because there is varying levels of application here in regards to those churches. If you open up to 1 Corinthians, you're going to start reading and you're going to go, whoa, he is really getting after these people. Something was not right. But then if you flip over and you go to Philippians, you realize, wow, he's, he's just encouraging and commending them. Reminding them they need to rejoice in the Lord. And this is, this is kind of encouraging to these people. And then if you, if you were to go even further into that, and you go to Galatians, you realize that here is a group of people that really struggle with the law. And they were tempted to fall back into the patterns of the old law rather than live in the safety of the new covenant through Christ. In another example of this, if we go to the book of Revelation and we see the letters written to the seven churches in Revelation, are they all the same? There's a distinction there, isn't there? And so the distinction is not in their faith, it's not in their belief, it's not in their hope, but rather it is in their location, in their weaknesses, in who they are and what, where they're at. And as a result of that, we see this expansion of not just the universal church in Christ, but the local body equipped for the task right before them. In 1 Corinthians 7.17, it says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called to him. This is my rule in all the churches. Paul here identifies in that statement that there are multiple bodies of believers gathering in different places. And this application remains the same for each of them. So we ask the question then, well, what is the same? If we're looking at the whole, what is the same? What, what is similar? What can we hold together as common in our faith in Christ? And there's three specific things in Scripture that we can pull out right away. The first one is that all believers are united in Christ. All followers of Christ are united in Christ. Now, in Ephesians 2, I want you to just jot down Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, and I want to challenge you to read that, okay? Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, I want to challenge you to read that this week. But in the middle of that, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And that application is true for everyone who believes in the name of Jesus to be saved. 
We're all united in Christ. The second thing is we are united in purpose. God has given us a singular mission as the church. And one of the my favorite passages to emphasize this is actually in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The purpose for the existence of the church is the same, regardless of where we're at. Thirdly, what is the same? We are united in future Hope, that is, as the church, united in Christ with the same purpose and mission to proclaim the gospel, we are united or should be united together in the recognition that this is not all there is. And this is not what we are living for. But we are holding fast and looking forward to a hope and an eternity that is secure in Christ. Amen? Now, the question comes off of the other side. If this is all the same, then what is different? In the local church, what is different from the universal church? And I'm going to give you three things there. Culture, community, and our strengths and weaknesses are different. The culture and the community right here in in Canton, Illinois, is completely different than if you were to just go a few hours south. It's completely different than the culture that even I pastored in in Oregon State for five years. There are similarities, yes, but it's different. Everyone say different. The same would be true about why we send missionaries to different places around the world and they spend years studying and researching and diving into a culture. It's different. Which means the structure in the local body looks different. And even though we're united together, it's different. And that's not a bad thing. None of this changes the overall truth that we are saved and united only through Christ. But it does emphasize that to deny the existence of the local church and the importance of rooting into a local church is not much different than denying the importance of the marriage covenant and just deciding that we're going to bypass that all together. And I really want to draw out that illustration because think for a moment what it would look like if our marriage relationships were categorized similar to how we view the local church. Well, you know what? I'm going to hang around until things just don't go the way I think they should. Or you know what? I'm going to show up and be present, but I'm, I don't really want to do anything. I don't really want to be involved. You know, I'll, sit, I'll come sit on the couch, but just kind of leave me alone. I'll sneak in at night and then sneak out in the morning and you won't even know I'm here. Do you, do you see how this easily becomes... And we would go, that's not healthy at all. 
And yet, isn't it the same if we see the local church that way and we see it through a lens of personal opinion? And if it's not going the way I think it should, then I'm out. I'm done. I'll find something else. And we easily fall into that pattern. And we need to be cautious about our attitude towards being invested into a community of people. Now, I want to give you two myths about membership, okay? Two myths, and I believe these two myths are what push people away most of the time when this gets brought up. We talk about membership, we talk about getting involved and committing to a church family and and committing to serve and really be invested. These are two myths that I believe prevent people or go, no, I don't want anything to do with it. Myth number one is that it's all about me. It's all about me. And understand, even God himself dwells within perfect unity and community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay? God himself created mankind and said, it's not good for man to be alone. In John 17, Jesus, in his prayer to God, said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be what? One. Everyone say one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the word, world may believe that you have sent me. None of anything that we do is supposed to be about the individual. I will have my own struggles, my own hurts, my own baggage, but the beautiful makeup of the church should be about the unity that we have in Christ that results in all those who truly confess Christ are now a part of one body of Christ serving together His purposes. Now, another way of illustrating this, you may have noticed my bowls of fruit up here, okay? And the reality is, when we go to decide that, okay, I'm going to get involved with a church, that's usually not the first step we take. We go, I'm going to go, what, what do we call it? In Western culture, what are we going? We're going, church what? Shopping! What is a more westernized term than this? Okay? People, I, I hear this all the time. Yeah, we're, we're kind of church, church shopping or church hopping. Okay? Just take the S away. And what are we doing in that? The whole concept of shopping is I'm looking for my, what, what personally in my mind is going to meet what I think it should look like. It's about me. And so oftentimes, if you were represented by this apple, you're going around and you're looking for a bowl full of apples. I, I want to find people that are like me. And I want to I find ways where I fit in and be welcomed. And man, look at this, we're all the same. And we even think about this in the term of saying, we're united in Christ, should we all look the same? Nice big bowl of apples. And yet, what we see in Scripture is that there's many members and there's a diversity and that none of us are the same. And God's gifted us uniquely and so it really looks more like this. And you've got all kinds of varieties in there. And you go, well, I kind of stand out as an apple. Yeah, but you know what's cool is in the midst of this variety, these are all fruit. And in the church, in the midst of that variety, those in Christ 
are all in Christ. But it doesn't take away the necessity of the church being full of a variety of people committed to the same purposes together and holding each other to a standard that's rooted in Christ. And if we make membership and commitment about our personal opinion, we're going to miss out on a whole load of giftedness and blessing that comes in the variety. It's a myth that the whole idea is all about me. Second myth. It's about the organization. 2 Corinthians 5, which we read at the beginning, it said that you are what? What word did we repeat? Ambassadors. Everyone say ambassadors. You are ambassadors in Christ. Now, I want to read a quote for you out of a, a book that I've, I read this last week because I really wanted to hone in on, all right, Lord, bring a, an understanding outside of my perspective to this whole concept. And it was in response to the question, um, wh- where is church membership in the Bible? And I just want you to listen to this for a moment. When people ask, where is, church, where is membership in the Bible? The problem is they're looking for something like a club to join. Because the word membership is a club word. Clubs and political parties and labor unions have memberships, but you don't often use the word membership in relation to governments and the citizens of nations. You don't say, so how's the membership of the British nation doing? Aren't you guys running like 60 million members these days? When you open the Bible, stop looking for signs of a club with its voluntary members. Look instead for a Lord and his bound together people. Look also for other forms of unity, brothers and sisters in a family, branches on a vine, etc. The idea that this is all about the organization is a myth, church. And one of the best definitions that I can give you for what church membership is, is described like this. I'm going to put it on the screen. It's that church membership is a formal relationship between a church and a Christian, characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's submission to living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. That's a mouthful, okay? But it fully summarizes this motive behind what this should look like for us. And so at the end of the day, What happens, or I should say, what should happen when I choose to become committed to a local body of people? What happens? The first thing that happens is that I affirm my confession of faith before the body of Christ. And in Hebrews 10, 23 through 25... It says, let us hold fast the confession of our, of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. When I choose to commit, just like when I become baptized... I'm publicly professing that I am now choosing to follow Jesus. When I choose to commit and make a covenant to a body, a group of people, I am 
pronouncing my confession of faith and my partnership with these others, other confessors of faith to pursue the mission God has given us together. Now, the second thing that happens or should happen when I become a member is that according to Hebrews thirteen seventeen, which we read at the beginning, I submit to the authority of God-given leaders and the community of believers. That I submit myself to that. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3, commands the leaders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Not everyone in the whole county, but those who are among you, those entrusted to you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Without the structure of the local church, who are the leaders of the church called to lead and discipline? Matthew 18 goes into a whole other realm of this in, in what church discipline is supposed to look like. Without that local body, how is that supposed to happen? And so, at the end of the day, here's what I want to leave you with in application, is a question, okay? Am I more concerned about my personal preference or my personal involvement? Am I more concerned about my personal preference or my personal involvement? Now, here at eFree, we have a formal membership And you know what? That membership process looks like you sharing your testimony of faith with the leaders of the church and affirming that you are a follower of Christ. Why do we do that? There's some churches that have no formal membership. Why do we do that? Because we believe God has entrusted us with the task of shepherding the church well and protecting it from those who might be imposters. And as ambassadors for Christ... The church is to exist not as a club, but as an embassy. A representation of a nation within a nation. Because we serve the purposes of God, not the purposes of man. And so as an ambassador of Christ, when you commit to a local body, when you commit to a local church body, you not only receive the benefits of the protection of that embassy... And the structures of that embassy, but you also become an integral part of the work taking place in that embassy for the kingdom of God. An ambassador. And so as you seek to answer this, some of you may have never pursued this because there just wasn't a comprehension. And I want to encourage any of you, if you've never looked at what it takes or what it looks like to become a committed covenant person in a local church body we've set what those applications look like out here at center point you can take one you don't have to fill it out but i would encourage you to consider that because this should be a togetherness where we pursue this as one body in the local community we've been placed for the kingdom of god consider what that looks like in application for you are you more concerned about personal preference or personal involvement.
Not just about me, but all of us working for God's purposes. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And uh, as they do so, would you stand with me as we pray right now? Heavenly Father, we recognize that so often... All of this is focused more around me and what I want to do and who I think I need to be and what I want. And so, God, I pray that you forgive us for our pride, forgive us for our selfishness. And, Lord, that we would ultimately commit to not only seeking after you, but making that covenant relationship with a community of believers to say, I'm in and I want to be in submission to this family. I want to walk with these people. I want to have them keep me accountable to the structures in place and, and my confessions of faith. God, may you challenge us in this that we would commit fully and ultimately for your purposes and your plan we pray this in jesus name